right, hello and welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 25, looking at the best Python editors for teaching. Welcome, my name is Sean Tiber. I am a coder who teaches. And my name is Kelly Schuster Paredes, and I am a teacher who codes. So how are you doing, Kelly? It seems like we've flipped roles this week with you teaching summer camp and me away traveling and, and learning. Absolutely. Um, I started summer camp this week. This is day three of my first week of teaching ages 5 to 13. It is, uh, we have about 43 kids this week, a lot busier than what you had the last couple of weeks, but it's still the same kind of thing. We're, we're just getting in our hands on anything that's computer science related. It's been really a lot of, a lot of fun. Well, and I've been away at, I'm actually at SciPy this week in Austin, Texas. And so we, I think we have a few interesting wins to share this week. So why don't, why don't you start? What's your win of the week to share? You know, I was trying to go through all the wins. We've we've had a lot of fun little things. I get to see the little kids in action and to see the the excitement when they see a new robot or I have the uh, uh, some fourth graders taking apart a laptop. So I think my wins my win this week is actually just seeing the kids faces when they when they find something new, whether it's Kubo, whether it's our vector, Cosmo, all of it's just been really great just to see their expressions on their faces. So that's a, that's my win this week. Nice. I was really enjoying that when I was teaching summer camp earlier this summer. It was really great to see that, you know, kind of taking a step back from the day-to-day -day school environment, just letting kids explore and play and try something new and different, especially since so many of our students uh, that we have in summer camp aren't necessarily the same students that we have during the school year. So it's kind of a fresh take and, and a different way of looking at things during the summer camp months. Yeah, and it gets you to remind yourself of where you are in the, the learning process. You have to take a step back and we restart the whole concept of uh, computational thinking and just get your hands dirty again with a whole bunch of new faces each time. Yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting and, and challenging and fun all at the same time. So my, my win has been a little bit different uh, and is more focused on myself and my own self-improvement. So this week I'm at SciPy, as I mentioned, in, in Austin. And this week I just finished the tutorials track of SciPy. So I've been meeting people and learning new things and you know brushing up on some new skills. But there have been some really fantastic talks here. And... What I've been appreciating most or kind of the biggest win is realizing that there's so many ways that we can bring Python into both our classroom and other classrooms. So I've met people from, you know, researchers in universities and academic settings to computer scientists who support like the, uh, the U.S. Geological Services Department here in the, in the federal government. So there's been just all kinds of really interesting connections to make and conversations to be had about teaching and learning Python and looking at how adult learners, especially very accomplished scientists and researchers, go about the process of learning Python and applying it to their, to their daily work. So it's been a really exciting and kind of invigorating conference from that perspective. Yes, and you've been sending me pictures. I don't know if it's to make me jealous or just to inspire me to learn more. But uh, I'm really excited about looking at some of these these GitHub links that you sent me and uh, so seeing what you've learned. It's uh, I can't wait to dig into that Pandas book that you just got. 
Yeah, it's really great. I spent uh, about an hour talking about ways to apply data science or introduce data science to middle school and high school students with the author of that book today over lunch. So that's you know just one more reason to go to conferences is the ability to sit and talk with the people that are published and are thought leaders in the space and have unique and different viewpoints from your own when it comes to pedagogy and technology of Python. Yeah, that, that's, I don't know to say you can cut that out. <laughs> 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 I might have to leave it in now. It's kind of funny. I'm a little bit brain dead today from the from the teaching. Actually, I was going to say, what we'll lead into that is, so what kind of coding are you doing? Just can you give us a little bit of a snapshot of what you're seeing besides the sure. data scientist, science? Sure. So I've been focusing really on different tools that I think will be helpful for us in the classroom. So I spent some time in a tutorial on matplotlib. So I wanted to take more of an introductory course and really step through all the different pieces of how matplotlib plots are created. And so that was really helpful. I feel like I have a much more solid foundation to work from now with, with visualization. I also took a whole tutorial on how to model Oscar winners or how to analyze the winners of the Academy Awards for movies and predict what types of movies are best suited for awards at the Oscars. Like if I wanted to create a fame and glory type movie that would last forever, what kinds of things would I need to incorporate in my movie? Is it the actors and actresses? Is it the screenwriter? Is it the, you know, is it a blockbuster? Do I need to make it, make sure that it makes a lot of money to get the visibility that it needs? So it was a really fascinating process and we did a lot of web scraping to do that, as well as some regression analysis in, in pandas to be able to pull that off. I don't necessarily have a clear answer. I think you know there's more data to be gathered, but it seems like anything that has Tom Hanks in it tends to do pretty well. <laughs> He's a great um, guy. Yep. It's just things like that that, you know, how can I help um, build out some of these units? We've done, I also did some work with uh, Jupyter Lab, which is sort of the next generation of Jupyter Notebooks. Then there's been some really great tutorials that I haven't seen that I get to check out on online later around things like Jupyter Widgets and GPU-based machine learning or GPU-based NumPy type acceleration. So lots of really great projects out there that are getting good tutorials this week. And now it's continuing with talks and more like shorter presentations for the rest of the conference. That sounds great. I'm so excited. We're going to have a lot of fun bringing some of that stuff out of our classroom and into other teachers' classrooms. Uh, I can't wait to see what we can do with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you know, this episode, you know, going from that, kind of this idea of what tools we use and how we use technology in the classroom, one of the things that we wanted to do this week is talk about what type of code editors we use to write Python code. I, this was a great idea, Kelly. You brought this up. Now that we've got enough knowledge to be dangerous when it comes to code editors, it gives us the opportunity to take a look at this from a rather unique perspective that I don't think a lot of other you know, guides or blog posts or comparisons really look at, which are, what are the best editors for teaching Python or for learning it for that matter? So from both perspectives as a student and as a teacher, which editors are best suited for, for this process and you know, where are there really strengths between them? Yes, um, I, was, I was sitting there and thinking about this because I've, I've switched my my editor and I'm working with another one this summer trying to 
introduce myself to the real, a little bit more of a real world professional editor. It got me thinking about, could we bring this into the, to our students? Would this be something that wouldn't be scary? And then also our talk with Meg, and we were talking about how terminal is still still something that I, I struggle with getting my head around and how can we transition into using that in our course. So that's where I was thinking about where we were going with this. Nice. Nice. Well, so what makes a good editor for teaching, in your opinion, Kelly? What, what are the things that you're looking for when it comes to choosing an editor for your students to use to learn Python? Well, I think, you know, when it comes to students and this instant kind of gratification child where everything is clickable and we can move around a lot, I like to keep something and give something to our younger students that is a little bit less cluttered. And so things that bigger buttons, not such smaller print, and not a lot of words on it. That's where we started when we first started coding this year. So that's one of my things that I look for. So it sounds like you're talking about making, starting simply, right? So starting with something that is the simplest possible editor and then building up from there. Do you, are you looking for just one editor or do you think that there are, there's value in having a few different options when you're teaching a course? So I'm thinking back to, to how we started when we were when we were coding, and you brought in a couple of different editors. Kids started getting confused. As, do we do we open it in this? Do we open it on this one? And I said, doesn't matter. They all work. So there must be a fine line. There's got to be a fine line before introducing a lot of editors and also giving choice to the students. So some kids will may prefer to have something installed others might prefer to work online but the the biggest thing that i find is being able to store and save the files in a easy location for students to to find that's where i am with choosing a good editor for me a lot of the attributes that i'm looking for really are how how simple or complex is it to get started right from the time that you choose to download it or go to it and get going to being able to write that first line of code you know what's that zero to first line of code time frame look like and then i'm not is as interesting i'm not necessarily looking for a really deep editor i'm not looking for something that's going to grow with the student over time i believe that there are editors that are well suited for beginners and then they, there is a process about growing that as well. So I'm looking for something that is very focused and simple and knows what it is and delivers on that really well in the classroom. I don't need it to be something that you have to be able to become a professional coder in as well. I feel like it's perfectly fine to switch from a beginner editor to one that has a few more features that may be more suited for the next phase of your, your development career. Absolutely. And I remember, I remember catching myself at the end of the fourth quarter to talking to some students and I said, okay, if you really want to be a professional coder in Python, you need to switch out of X and go into Y because, you know, that just looks cooler. So there's something about giving that little bit of a push to, to say you've graduated, you graduated the baby steps and now you can go on and go to a professional IDE. I agree. And, and then I think the other thing that has to be said is it has to be free to start because we don't want to make a big investment into a coding editor 
for students, especially that that we're gonna have to spend a lot of money on for something that could be a short course, especially if you're teaching a, a volunteer course or something where the students can opt out of it, something that's optional or an elective. You know, why are, why would you spend money on a tool to learn? You know, save that for when the student grows into it. You know, so like, where's the next stage for them? And I caught myself doing that today or yesterday when I introduced a couple of short Python programs to the campers. And I said, listen, let's just open up this program right here. It's online. You don't need to log in. If you like it, go home tonight and make yourself an account. And then tomorrow, if you want to code some more, you'll be able to save it. And I had five kids come back and said, said that they, they made them you know, an account. And so they must have liked the, the coding of Python. It was pretty, nice. it's, one, it's just that option where I don't want to have to install things. And I just want them to jump in and start coding. Right. Uh, so I think we've got simple, easy to get started, focused and clear in terms of what it does and what it doesn't do. And it doesn't need to be the end-all solution for editors. Like it's something that you should be able to outgrow, and you know, but transfer what you've learned as well. Absolutely, that sounds like. And it has to be free. Has to be. So I think (laughs) it has to be free. So I think that's a good five criteria to look at these editors. So what's the what's the first editor that comes to mind when you're thinking about teaching Python? Well, we have to put Moo as I think the number one on at least for me, Moo and and what Nick Toll has done with developing Moo Editor has to be my top favorite when we are starting to code with our kids here. I agree. It's really a valuable tool. It's the first thing that comes to my mind as well. It hits a lot of the criteria. It's simple, it's free, it's easy to get started. It is something where I have to train students who are used to using the cloud for everything, that you can download programs to this to your computer and then run them on your computer too, where it's not running in a web browser, it's another program. That's probably the biggest hurdle to getting started, to be honest, is just helping them install a program for the first time in many cases on their computer. Absolutely, and I have to make a correction. It's Nick Nick Tollervey. I'm sorry, I was I was citing his his Twitter handle. It's Intoll yeah, on, on Twitter. Sorry, kind of <laughs> sorry. M- munging those two together, huh? <laughs> but yes, I like it. The the buttons are are big, and you know you have some icons on there because you know how kids hate to read the check function. And he's constantly making some updates with the help of uh, feedback from others. It's a simple program download and. For some reason, the kids really like to use the theme feature of Moo and turn that white to the black screen. And I think just having that simple switch just really brings us together as a great editor for starting with any Python coding or microbit coding on Circuit Circuit Playground, Adafruit, Pygame, all that stuff. Not Adafruit. Help me out here. Well, and more, <laughs> uh, and the BBC Microbit, Pi Game Zero. The way that it's designed, there's room for additional modules in the future. So I think in the next version, that's currently an alpha release right now. There's even a a web mode there where you can create your own web apps Correct. with Moo. So there's a, a lot of really great features there. You also hit on the fact that it does have all these different modes, so you can use it to code the BBC Microbit board and flash code directly to that board by clicking a button, which is fantastic. If you've ever tried to to flash code to a Microbit using the command line, it's a little bit more challenging. And then 
you know, you can also do Circuit Playground, Pygame Zero. Then there's the full standard library as well. So it comes with Python built in, like so the batteries are included in the box when it comes to Mew. That is a huge deal because instead of having to get Python installed on your computer first to be able to use the other editors that you want to, it's all included. It's one download, one installation, and you're writing code pretty much immediately. Yeah, and on a side note, on the website, Code with Moo, Nick actually even tells you that, you know, this is your first step in programming with this editor. There is an article that says, good luck, now it's time to move on, you're advanced, so now try these other IDEs. He, he had that mindset that this is the, the first thing to go with, and I agree, I, that's my top one. I think before we go on, it might be helpful to just define what an IDE is versus an editor. So there, there is a difference. An editor can be used to write code and edit code, and it often includes things like syntax highlighting and maybe some, some conven convenience features like code completion using the tab button, things like that. But generally, an editor is very lightweight, and it just allows you to change the text in your source code and maybe gives you a few like shortcuts for you know, running it or executing it. But an IDE, by contrast, goes quite a bit further and offers a lot of tools for full development. So it might include things like debugging tools, it might include code inspection tools, a more robust library or code completion tool set. So if you're going from a, an editor to an IDE, you should be expecting a lot more features to it. And I would say that Mew acts sort of like a beginner IDE, where it does have some of those more advanced features like debugging and even a plotter and things like that for, for reading serial data, but it's still as lightweight as a, as a typical code editor. Thank you, that's a, that's a good explanation. <laughs> yeah. So for me, the, the one that I went to after I graduated from Mew, and it's, it's hard to believe it's only been a year since I started learning Python, but I started learning Python using Mew like, like our students do. I went on to Visual Studio Code, or VS Code as they call it, and this is from Microsoft, and I know that you know, people of a certain generation, i.e. mine, you know, many of them look at Microsoft products and go, oh, I don't know if that's such a good idea. Like, it doesn't, doesn't feel right. I can assure you VS Code is, is part of the new Microsoft. There's a lot of really great things that Microsoft is doing in the open source community to embrace Python and, and other languages, and VS Code is one of their flagship efforts in that space. So VS Code is a, is a program that runs on Windows, Mac, and Linux. It's fully open source. You can install a Python extension for it. And the Python extension, uh, which gives you kind of all the Python conventions and features and everything like that in VS Code, is the most popular extension in the library. I particularly like VS Code because it, it is kind of that next editor where it has a lot of powerful advanced features. There are many full-time developers who are using VS Code on a daily basis, but what I particularly like about it is that it starts off much simpler for you. I mean, you can use it just as an editor that lets you edit text code, text files, and make changes and just see syntax highlighting, and then you can add the features that you want to it. So it still preserves a lot of that simplistic view that the Mew editor has. 
it has a lot of the powerful features that you would expect from a, a professional environment in there as well. So it gives you kind of that nice ramp up from you into a new editor. Yeah, I downloaded VS Code and I use it occasionally. Whenever I open up one of my files, VS Code seems to be my default. I do not code directly in VS Code and I think that's one of the ones that I might maybe eventually get into, but that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> because currently I am learning PyCharm after going to PyCon and seeing JetBrains and seeing all the things going around with PyCharm, I wanted to check that out. I have been working on trying to figure out how to even start digging into all the cool features of PyCharm. We have a book here and that's one of the things that I'm going to do when we start school. But I, I like PyCharm. It was easy to install. The, for educators, the PyCharm for educators is free. It is an open source and it is free to install. And they also have free for learners. And I like that, that aspect of it. You also have the PyCharm for professionals, which is a paid version. But just going into it, it's it, it's very easy for me, and there is a, an, an opportunity. I think you can switch into terminal. I haven't really gotten into that aspect of it, but I like the way I can see the path, the, the file program path, and I can store all my files within a project and just opening up the different options in there and running my program within PyCharm. Um, I like the way that it checks things for you, which is super super awesome when you are trying to look for that missing parentheses it highlights you can you can click on a light bulb and it says you know it tells you the options of what's missing it, it's got that extra kick that i didn't have in moo and i think i'm starting to feel like a, a more of a coder using pycharm although I, I i think i've only covered about i don't know a hundredth of what the features are there's a lot in there you know it's interesting they have a ton in there, and the education edition, and I don't know if you saw this yet because we haven't really used it in the classroom, has a number of lessons that you can take. If you're as a learner, there are courses built in PyCharm that you can take to learn Python and learn different libraries or different, different parts of the language. There's even the ability to integrate with external uh, coding challenges websites and complete your code right there in PyCharm. So there's some really interesting features with PyCharm edu because for educators you can actually create your own courses as well. So we could create a course for our students all in PyCharm edu they could get from their edu edition as a learner as well. So it's a pretty neat um, extra feature that they've added to PyCharm specifically for educators. Yeah, um, if you just go to their website with jetbrains.com, the link will be in our, our show notes, but you can click on the PyCharm at edu and you can see for yourself just getting started, introduction to Python even, there's a course. That in itself is just a great a great opportunity to look at. Well, I, think, I mean, I think these are kind of the big three. There's another editor out there that just frankly we haven't used as much called Thonny that's also designed to be a basic code editor for beginners. And then we've also had students using the built-in idle editor in Python as well with a fair amount of success also. So there's plenty of different options out there uh, when it comes to installing editors on your computer. Now, something that's interesting that we've been, we've used quite a bit in our classroom are the code editors in your browser. Kelly, tell us a little bit about, 
you know, the code editors that you've used online and, and where you choose to use an online editor instead of a, a one that's installed on the computer? Well, the one that we use here at camp right now because it's something that the kids can go home and, and use on their computer is REPL, uh, REPL.IT. It's just an easy, an easy get to. You go online, you can, you can choose a language and, I mean, how many languages does REPL IT support? Just looking at it, dozens, dozens. hundreds. Of <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it, it's just insane. And I started using REPL back when we were playing around with Turtle. I didn't even know what I was coding, to be honest. I just was copying some code and watching the turtle make some shapes. This is before I started coding in Python, and I was doing it on REPL. And then when I found out that, I was like, oh, wait, I've done this before. It's one of those things where you can just tell the kids, jump on it, here's some code. I can even share it and, and ha they can click on a link and it'll take it, take them straight to my code. It's got some great features. I know you used it in class to grade as well. Yeah, that was that part's really cool. So you can create assignments using the Replit Education Edition. So you can create classrooms and assignments for students to complete and then even set up your own manual or automatic grading using testing frameworks. They also have templates in REPL, so just looking on it, you can do your blog site, you can do a bootstrap, 3D animations with, I don't even know, P5OJS. So you can go on and learn any, any language besides Python using, or code any language besides Python on REPL.IT, which is, I guess, something that you can do in other editors. But that I don't know. That's your. That's a something for you to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the other thing that I really like about it too, especially for things like pair programming or collaboration, is that they just introduced. I think earlier this year they introduced multiplayer mode. So for anyone who's coding in a REPL on, uh, you know, on Python or whatever language, there's a now multiplayer mode where you can invite other people to collaborate with you in the same workspace using the same kernel. So you can be on the same code base, you can see them making changes. It's sort of like Google Docs for code with all of the live editing features. So I think that that's a, that's a great one and I've suggested that to students when they're looking to collaborate on a project together, especially if they can't get together in the evening face-to-face -to, -face to work on their project, I suggest that they use REPL because, or Replit because they can collaborate together even if they're sitting at home in their own rooms on the computer. And that's really neat. So in my mind as a newbie, um, well not necessarily a newbie, but you know, getting a little still back in there, but my mind that kind of gets you segued into uh, GitHub, no? It's kind of give you that idea of making the split of the code or working together. It lets them realize that this code is not something that has to live only on their computer or be shared by email or some other way. So I think that's it's just a nice feature of being able to code and share and collaborate in real time. Yeah, I agree. It's it's kind of like it's GitHub collaboration without having to learn Git right away. So that can be really helpful for students because if you if you layer on version control on top of learning how to code, it can be a little bit overwhelming for <laughs> for a lot of people. And you know, for me, learning Git has not been an easy process. I'm still learning Git. So I certainly want to make sure that it's easy for our students to collaborate without having to add another layer of complexity to their coding. So number five that kind of we wanted I wanted a little bit to talk about, not really number five, but one of a one of the ones that is on our list is more specific only for 
micro bit, and that was another one that's easy to jump on and use when you're in the STEM camp or when you're working with kids and you want to get something free is just python.microbit and you can code straight online using, if you're using the microbit, which I thought was a kind of a neat add-in. Well, so it's the website is python.microbit.org. And right, okay. And that, that I've, I haven't used that for a few months, but if I recall correctly, what's really great about that is that it gives you an environment for coding Python specifically for the microbit with all the libraries and everything. And then I think you can download the code directly to the microbit, is that right? That's correct, and it, it's kind of got that moo feeling, but it's even less. There are really only, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven buttons on, on this, and you code your microbit code straight there. You can save it, you can load it. They have the snippets of what these little triggers will do, and you download it straight into the microbit. It's something that is simple, quick. You don't have to install anything. You can grab your microbits, and you can have kids coding straight into with Python in, in a matter of seconds. Nice. I have an honorable mention that we should definitely bring up here. I don't know if it makes it a top five list or a top six list or, or whatever, but I have to give a shout out to Jupyter as a coding environment, especially with what we have for Jupyter Lab upcoming. Jupyter Lab is becoming more of a coding environment, not just a, a notebook anymore. We've used notebooks quite a bit in our classroom to be able to do uh, analytics to be able to do code sharing. And one of the big challenges that I know many educators face is the, the sharing, right? How do I share this notebook with my students? How do I get them to start it up? If I want to start up a notebook or Jupyter Lab on my own computer, it's not a trivial exercise. I mean, I think I've got it down to about a five minute process to start up a new Jupyter Lab or Jupyter Notebook by after, the, after I create a virtual environment and install the packages and all those things. One of the great things about Jupyter that's, that's been really encouraging to see is how many new online versions of Jupyter are available. And the two that come to mind the most for, for me are Google Colab and Binder. So if you wanna start up a Jupyter Notebook in the cloud, you now have many of these different options. And for us being such a Google dominant school, Google Colab makes a lot of sense because it's yet another version of a Google Doc that students are very comfortable with the interface and familiar with the idea of sharing it and have the ability to run code and run it line by line or section by section against the kernel. So instead of having to run the same script over and over and over again, they can make a change and run just that cell that contains the most recent update that they made. Yeah, and I and I forgot about that. I do. I love the the collab feature. I love using that in outside of the computer science class and when we bring the stuff into other curriculum. Just being able to text edit on on that space and still run the code is is a nice feature to have. And I know that there are many educators out there who teach Python exclusively in a Jupyter notebook. In fact, many of the tutorial sessions that we've been going through here at SciPy have been taught in a Jupyter notebook because it's an easy way to guarantee the environment that we're working in. It's got all the right packages already. It has all of the code already installed that you're going to need. It also has instructions in line or interspersed with the code blocks. So I'm seeing Jupyter used quite a bit in a variety of different forms for teaching Python and teaching computer science. And I have a feeling that it's going to be used a lot more 
as it continues to grow and develop and more into class, especially now with being in with CoLab and LinkedIn, Google Drive, or it's just something that's so flexible and easy to use. So good, yeah. good call on remind. And it's been fun here at SciPy to see just the absolute wizardry that people are pulling off with Jupiter um, and all the different parts of the Jupiter project in a variety of different settings. So if you are worried about the future of Jupiter, there's really no reason to be. There's some pretty amazing stuff that's happening. That's awesome. Well, those are those are our, our six editors. Are those, so we can say editors or IDEs? <laughs> that we editors like. slash IDEs, Ed I guess. Editors slash IDEs that we like to use here at school and at camp and in our coding at home. If uh, anyone else has something else out there that they find should be made or put on the list or we should check out, let us know. Just tweet at us at uh, Teaching Python. Yeah, please let us know what we've missed. We're happy to record an addendum or put it into the show notes just so that you know people get a sense of what's out there. And there are so many different ways to learn coding now and to learn Python now that it's a really exciting time to see all the different tools that are available to us. So please, if we miss something, let us know. For those of you out there who are using Vim in a terminal to write code and you think that everyone should learn it that way, you know what, put your case forward. Let's, you know, let's, I want to hear your best arguments for why everyone should learn Vim in the terminal. Um, so. <laughs> and, then, and then you can come teach me an easier way because I get lost in there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. It is one of those things we get, we get really comfortable with the editors that we use or the IDEs that we use regularly. And it still blows me away to watch someone who's proficient at using Vim or Emacs write code. It's just kind of magical to watch them cruise through stuff. So I say this with love. I just don't know how I'm going to teach sixth graders how to use Vim. You don't have to teach sixth graders this year. <laughs> oh, okay. I still don't know how I'm going to teach seventh graders this year how to use Vim in a terminal. <laughs> well, I think we've covered it and I have to go prepare for the 43 summer campers that are coming in tomorrow. And you have to go learn some more at SciPy. That's right. So Without any further ado, for Teaching Python, this is Sean. And this is Kelly. Signing off. Mm -hmm.